Today, Gloria Copeland and Billy Brim reveal how the body of Christ, releasing the firepower of prayer and awakenings, has allowed the Holy Ghost to fall upon nations. Discover more on today's Believer's Voice of Victory. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Believer's Voice of Victory. Billy Brim's back with us. She's already got us all excited. So please don't miss any of these broadcasts. Billy, that's been good. Yes. We're talking about prayer and awakenings. Prayer and awakenings. That'll change everything. That'll change everything. That's All right. we need is an awakening to that's God. Right. That's right. And uh, I wrote a book. My most recent book is First of All and the Awakenings. And of course, the first of all part has to do with first of all, you pray for the leaders. Yeah, right. And then uh, <clears throat> this is what drew my attention to awakenings. Uh, out at Prayer Mountain in the Ozarks, which we established as the, as the Lord's at His direction to help the prayers uh, in 1995. And um, so He told us to establish it on two premises. One, pray in the plans of God. Two, stop the strategies of the enemy. And that's for all prayers everywhere. Pray in the plans of God and stop the strategies of the that's enemy. Right. It's two kinds of praying. So he told us to provide places for conducive to those two kinds of praying and to make a place where people could pray individually. So we have cabins for that, but to make a place for corporate prayer. And so out of Prayer Mountain, we have a chapel and out of Prayer Mountain, we have corporate prayer uh, every Sunday at three o'clock and every Wednesday at noon. And that one at noon is streamed live around the world and people join us online and pray together in United That's Prayer. That's powerful, isn't it? Oh, it's powerful. And you know, Brother Hagin said, there are things you can get in United Prayer that you cannot get any other way. So uh, we're, I, I believe that the awakening is, is one thing that we need. We're going to show that in some things that we read. But it was 2008, it was three o'clock in the afternoon, Sunday afternoon, and there was an upcoming election. You remember 2008, 2016 were election years. And so we're praying out there and we're praying hard and fast and heavy like machine gun bullets for the uh, election and uh, really telling God just what to do. <laughs> and uh, suddenly- Whether I, he needed it or not. <laughs> all he has to know what to do is just ask us. But anyway, uh, I'm sitting on the second row praying and suddenly this uh, blanket, you might call it a mantle, falls on me from heaven. I've only had it happen twice in my life. Once it did in 1979 and then again in 2008 at this prayer meeting. It just comes on you. Now, the Bible says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So that means you can be quiet and speak in church. Uh, you don't have to blurt out everything. But there have been two times, these were these two times that this mantle came on me. You open your mouth and words are coming out. You do it. So here's what came out of my mouth in really loud voice. One thing will save America, and it is not the election. It is an awakening to God. One thing will avail for Israel and the nations. It is an awakening to God. And that's the end of it, short. But it shook us all. We were quiet. We knew we had been reprimanded. Hmm. And then suddenly thoughts start shooting through my mind like machine gun bullets. And they go really fast. And I know that it's the Lord. And those thoughts are the best person in the world could be elected president. And it would do no good if the people did not awaken to God. That's true. Awakenings, history, 
American history, the part of prayer in the awakenings study. And so I did. I did what he told me. And I learned, I had heard of the Great Awakening barely, because it's not really emphasized in history, but it's there in secular history. And I found out that the United States of America was born out of what history, even academic history, calls the Great Awakening. A contemporary Harvard professor wrote, one cannot understand the colonial society that brought about the American Revolution without a study of the Great Awakening. Hmm. Harvard professor William Perry said, the Declaration of Independence of 1776 was a direct result of the evangelical preaching of the evangelists of the Great Awakening. Hmm. Now, some of those evangelists that we studied and the very most prominent one was George Whitfield. He was uh, from England, and I go into great detail about him in the book. He, was, he made 13 crossings across the Atlantic. God actually put it in his heart to preach unity and the new birth. He came and went to all the colonies. He was the best known person in all the colonies, and he knew God wanted to right. unite the colonies. And his message was that they should be one nation under God. And another Praise one, God. another uh, brothers who were very eventful in uh, Methodism, it was called, in the early day Methodists. I mean, they were shouting their hair yeah. down Methodists. And that was Charles and John Wesley. And both Whitfields and Wesley were influenced by some people called the Moravians. And their prayers... We're going to study about their prayers today and how they preceded um, so much that affected the Wesleys and affected George Whitfield. And so my daughter, Brenda, she's a book hound, and she got me this book. And notice the title, Fire on the Altar, Those Who Carried the Flame. Remember, we've been talking about the altar and it's, it's coals of fire and uh, the incense altar. In, in the Old Testament, in the temple times, there were coals of fire and the incense rose. And then the New Testament and the Old Testament likens our prayers to rising before God like incense. Mm. And so this book is called Fire on the Altar and Those Who Carried the Flame, Volume 1, The Great Revivalists. By, and it's written by Frank J.J. Pietro, I guess, P-I-E-T-R-O fire on the altar, those who carried the flame. Now, I'm going to give you a word about that, uh, that title because they understood that we offer prayers, we intercede yeah. on an altar, and it ascends to God. Now, there's a misunderstood verse in the Bible that this will help you. Romans 12, 20, Paul writes, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing you shall heap coals of fire on his head. I had a man say to me, a Christian, I don't really like Paul's writings. And I said, what? You don't like Paul's writings? <laughs> and he said, well, what about that verse where he talks about heaping coals of fire on people's heads? And I guess he had the idea that that was, you know, you just, Paul wanted to burn them up. That wasn't what Paul was talking about. 
And if you read the whole context of it, Romans 12, starting with verse 17, it says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. What does this say? You're taking him to the altar. You're taking him to the place where the fire is on the altar. You're interceding for your enemy. You're loving him. The first thing Jesus ever said about prayer is pray for those that despitefully use you. Yeah, that's right. And so you're taking them, and that's what Paul was talking about. Take them to the altar. Take them to the fire on the altar and let your prayer raise up for them. And that's what this man titled the book. He understood that. Fire on the altar and those who carried the flame. And uh, Acts chapter 4 speaks of united prayer. It says that uh, Paul and, uh, 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 not, not Paul, but Peter and John had been to the temple, you know, and they prayed for a man, he got healed, and they got in bad trouble. It says they went to their own company, and their own company, it said, lifted their voices and prayed to God. Well, here are the speaking spirits, and here's what they're doing. They lift their voice, and they ask God to stretch forth his hand in signs and wonders and miracles. That's united prayer they were praying. And so that's what... Uh, this group of people, the Moravians, probably prayed a kind of united prayer like the world has hardly ever seen. And I'm going to be reading to you from this book. I'm going to start here on page three. And the man who wrote the book, and he, he begins chapter one with Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf and the Moravians. He said, I've hesitated to write this short history about the Moravians' uh, revival for no other reason than I cannot begin to do this awesome move of God justice. What they did, Gloria, is, is and I'm going to read to you about it, it's hard to do justice to because, Gloria, they had a prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. That's One a long prayer meeting. 100 years. Mm. United prayer. Wow. And what was the result? Well, you're going to see the result. <laughs> One of the results was they affected the Wesleys, got them born again. Hmm. John Wesley was wasn't big. even born again until he came into contact with Moravians. Wow. They affected George Whitfield, and they affected missionary endeavors which were non-existent over the whole world. So this is how it began. Hmm. Uh, he writes about them in an era when missionary outreach was almost non-existent. The Moravians covered the world, going places where most refused to go. They suffered prison, shipwreck, persecution, ridicule, plague, disease, poverty, and death, all to have the honor of being called ambassadors for Christ. It was 50 years later, uh, William Carey is a father of a, a modern Baptist uh, missionary, and it was 50 years later that he began. So they were very early in this. Mm. Um, this missionary work, that they prayed into the earth would soon fill the kingdom of God and it was birthed by intense intercessory prayer. 
Mm. Perched atop a prayer tower, these nearly forgotten prayer warriors took their turns praying. They had a prayer tower. They had a prayer tower. And they took their turns praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. From 1727 to 1827, 100 years nonstop. Wow. Now, how did they get their prayer tower? I don't know. Tell me. Well, they got it from Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. He was, uh, their story begins with him, this one man, a count. He uh, was born in 1700 to uh, a family of nobles in uh, Lower Austria. And um, his inheritance uh, was to sit upon the continents, one of their most powerful thrones. But he gave it all up and spent his life and fortune to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. He was not a Moravian. He was a devout Lutheran. And from a very early age, he had a desperate hunger for God. Hmm. At six, he made this commitment, quote, I firmly resolved to live for him alone who laid down his life for me. At six years old. At nine, he made this commitment, to have a living communion with Christ, my heart's affection never departing from Praise my Savior. God. My Jesus. That's awesome. His blessed presence, God, Christ's blessed presence, was Zinzendorf's all-consuming theme. He had chosen from an early age as his life's motto for his now famous confession, quote, I have one passion. It is Jesus and Jesus only. I have one passion. It is Jesus. Praise God. And Jesus only. Prevailing prayer awesome. was his lifestyle. He studied under a famous priest and he was the valedictorian of his class. He had a strong desire to win souls for Christ. And he found a woman, a mate, who was as consecrated to Christ as he was. And they both sacrificed their rights of nobility and willingly entered into a life of service for their Savior. Praise God. And this was when the kings and queens of Europe flaunted their authority. The countess bore 12 children, of which only three outlived her. And the count uh, began purchasing an estate with acres of land. And as he purchased this estate, that grew and grew and grew to these acres of land, there was a group called the United Brethren or the Moravians who were suffering intense persecution in Bohemia, Poland, and Moravia. Wow. They were being terribly persecuted. The, the Roman church in those days persecuted all the people who didn't believe like they did. That made so, me laugh because that's the way we bought this land. Piece at a time. A piece at a time. Just like yeah, that. Yeah. And, yeah. And bought the land at the direction of the Father. Yeah. Well, he's buying the land at the direction of the Father. He has, he has pledged to God he's going to live for Jesus and Jesus only. And he doesn't even know about that group of heavenly, heavily persecuted people called the Moravians. Hmm. But they, he's going to cross paths with them. And um, a lone Christian refugee from Moravia showed up at Zinzendorf's door. His name was Christian David, and he hoped the count... Christian David. Christian David, and he hoped the count might allow a group of these oppressed people, Moravian refugees, 
to come and live on his land as a haven to escape refugees. And the count said, yes. So David then, after he met Zinzendorf, he would go back to Moravia and group, little by little, he would bring those people. He'd slip them out. He'd slip them through the borders and bring them over to this land that the count had, wow. had bought and purchased. What a story. And uh, Zinzendorf called him uh, the Moravian Moses because he went after them and rescued them. And so there was a community of, a community of them that grew up and they, and they named it Herrenhut, which means the Lord's Watch. And there were 300 of them in the beginning. Praise God. But other people, the Anabaptists, Calvinists, uh, Reform, Separatists, others heard about this refugee place. You know, kind of, you can think about refugee camps today, the Christians that are having to leave Syria, mm -hmm. had to leave Syria and things. And so they hear about it and they start coming there. And so uh, it, it, it visually... At it, least they didn't fight it. No, and they, well, they, they kind of did among themselves when they started. They came there and they, uh, they're from different groups. And uh, the Lutherans, they didn't like the way the Moravians were doing their worship. And they, the little different t doctrines, you know, mm -hmm. among them, they started, they didn't get along so Nitpicking. well. Nitpicking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Zinzendorf, he always preached unity. And Zinzendorf, with his pastor's heart, began going from house to house to each family and counseling them from the scriptures. And he organized uh, little groups that he called bands who would meet in their homes and pray together. So it, it was kind of like uh, the first, you might say, little home prayer groups. And so they started praying together. And before long, uh, their homes were opening up and they began to have even all-night prayer vigils. Mm -hmm. It took five years but after five years and of them praying and of them coming all together, yeah. their dissension and bickering vanished. Five years. <laughs> Unbelievers came to Herrenhut and they were converted. And something happened at that place. A spirit of prayer immediately became evident in their fellowship. Praise in God. the golden summer of 1727, the fire of the spirit was about to fall on these dedicated saints. Mm -hmm. By August the 5th, they, 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 would, they would lie on the floor and anticipation would come up to them. Something's gonna happen, something's gonna happen. Some of them didn't even sleep because they sensed that something's going to happen. So you think the prayer opened the door to the them? The prayer opened the door. So it was um, Pentecostal fire was about to fall on the Moravians. May 12th to August 13th, 1727. They called Praise it the golden God. summer. A spirit of prayer, they call it communion. So they're all going to meet. They're going to all take communion. And at the communion service, Wednesday, August 13th, they prayed. They knelt and they sang. Suddenly, they heard a sound of a mighty rushing wind. The power of the Holy Spirit swept across the congregation in waves. The noise of the wind was so loud that they looked out the windows to see if there was a storm. There was not. The manifestation of the Spirit was not relegated within the four walls of their church building, but it fell throughout the community. And men and women were touched with a passion for God and His purpose swept through their hearts. Praise God. Two members were at work 20 miles away, unaware of the meeting, and the power of God fell upon them the moment that they were, that it happened at the church and they were smitten and fell under the power. On that day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we saw the hand of God and His wonders. 
We were all under the cloud of the Father, baptized with His Spirit. As the Holy Spirit came upon us, great signs and wonders took place in our midst. And from that time, scarcely a day passed, but what we beheld is mighty workings among us. A great hunger after the Word of God took mm. possession of us, so that we had to have three services every day. Everyone desired above everything else that the Holy Spirit might have full control. Self-love and self-will, as well as all disobedience, disappeared, and an overwhelming flood of grace Praise swept us into a great grace. ocean Favorite. of divine love. Mm. They left that house when they did at noon that day of the first outflow of the next day, hardly knowing whether they belonged to earth or had already gone they were heaven. in the spirit. The Savior permitted to come upon us, this is what they wrote, a spirit of whom we had hitherto not had any experience Praise. or knowledge. Oh, Jesus, we so The Holy that. Spirit took control of us. Praise. Just what happened in the book of Acts? Mm -hmm. Rush, rushing mighty wind? Yeah. But they had, they had moved into a place of unity and to a place of prayer, and they began praying, and then they're all together at this community service, and they have this rushing mighty wind, and they had an awakening that affected the whole world. And I'm Praise. going to take up this with this tomorrow Good. and show you how they affected even the awakening in America. But every awakening, Gloria, that came Every move of God came because people prayed. And if we want an awakening in America, yes, right. there's one way we can get it. And that's to pray. Mm. And that's to pray in. And that's to pray first of all. And that's to uh, have a passion for Jesus and be willing to let His Spirit take us over. You don't have passion unless something's very important to you. Mm -mm. You don't just kind of, eh, that's not passion. Mm -mm. You have to take it. Glory to God. That is really stir, that stirs us all up, Billy. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Hallelujah, we want that. Billy and I'll be right back. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching from Kenneth Copeland Ministries. And remember, Jesus is Lord.